0: Good morning. I'm Ann Schindler, and this is First Coast Connect. Today, a new documentary explores the little-known history of a Jacksonville hate crime that targeted a black first grader for integrating his elementary school. Later in the show, a new program inspiring young girls of color to embrace math and science. But first, 60 years ago, almost to the day, a home in Murray Hill exploded. The blast knocked the ho- the house off of its foundation, and it blew the refrigerator through the roof, but it largely failed to register in Jacksonville's collective memory. My guests today hope to change that. I'm joined now by Hal Jacobs, producer and director of a new film about the racist attack called Just Another Bombing. Welcome, Hal.
1: Welcome. Thank you.
0: And author and English professor Tim Gilmore, who first wrote about the incident on his blog, Jack Psychogeo. Hey, Tim.
2: Hey, and Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for being here. Uh, Tim, start us off, if you will, remind us of what happened on February 16th, 1964 and why it happened.
2: Well, um, so uh, sometime in uh, the middle of the night, um, there is an explosion in uh, Murray Hill Heights and um, incredibly, uh, no one was was killed in this explosion that um, blew half of the house off, Um, as you said, blew the refrigerator through the roof, broke windows out in surrounding houses. Um, And it happened because a six-year-old boy, Donald Godfrey, uh, had begun attending uh, the elementary school around the the corner. Uh, Donald Godfrey was the first black child at Lackawanna Elementary School, um, which, if people don't know the name, uh, if they travel on Um, I-10 West in Jacksonville. They've seen um, the uh, the building. Uh, It's now used as storage. But um, he was the first black child at Lackawanna Elementary, and um, the uh, the the you know his his mother Iona had decided that you know it's been almost a decade since the Supreme Court said schools uh, are supposed to desegregate. So it's about time Duval County honored that. And um, the result was the attempted murder of a six-year-old boy, and his mother, and other members of their family. And uh, unbelievably, fortunately, they were on the they were all on the other side of the house, and none of them died in this uh, this this bombing.
0: This house uh, in Murray Hill, as you say, thirty two fifty nine Gilmore Street, so yes. the corner of Gilmore Street and Owen. Um and there's not a house there any longer.
2: There's a new house there now. Oh, sir, Okay. Yeah, but uh for uh for quite a long time um it was abandoned right. Okay. Uh, and, and and empty right.
0: And so this bombing um was deliberate. It was because he had integrated the school and it was conducted by the Klan.
2: Right. Uh. And uh. You know, since he had started the school earlier in the school year. Uh, you know, um, there had been uh, a number of, of white parents and not just parents, but other um, uh, white supremacist community members, too, that regularly harassed Donald and some of his, in particular, a friend he made that was a little white girl that he would walk to school and back with, you know, um, did all of the obligatory, you know, despicable stuff spewing the n-word everything else the family would get uh death threats on the phone at home and um so uh it was it was clear what the intention was and uh, and i'm sure in a bit we'll also uh you know talk about uh what what happened in in court afterwards uh, which was uh uh you know another crime in and of itself i think
0: Al Jacobs, you begin your film with a note from the filmmaker. Um, tell us about what's in that note, because it explains how you came to this film. And it, it's kind of shocking.
1: Well, uh, <clears throat> I started the film because I lived four streets over from Donald. I'm, I'm a month younger than Donald. We both started school when we were six. Now, I lived in that neighborhood for 18 years and, and never heard a word of this bombing. That was four streets over from where I live. From, I had friends who lived a block over from Donald. It was a very black-white neighborhood, very segregated. Donald and I never met. I attended a different school, so I did not find out about it until I read Tim's uh, article, um, basically three years ago. And it was two years ago that I called Donald and started talking to him. And my, my first question was, why didn't I know about this? And that was sort of the question that led me through the whole uh, making of the film, is um, why didn't I know about it? Why don't white people know about this? And uh, I think the film sort of addresses that in in, in kind of a nuanced way, but it tells the story of, of what they went through on a very personal level. And, and these aren't major figures of civil rights history. These are ordinary people who, who did what they thought was right and, you know, made extreme sacrifices and, um, you know, and dealt with a lot of pain.
0: Hal, you asked Donald and Iona, um, his mother, about the response to the bombing when it happened. Let's hear how they remembered it.
3: Those kinds of things were happening everywhere.
0: And it was a special thing to us because it happened to us. But it wasn't a
1: special thing. It was happening everywhere. Hmm. It wasn't a special thing. Man, that's something. After the bombing, did anybody from the school reach out to you?
2: Nah, these were Klan
1: people.
0: They weren't gonna reach who's, out to who, me. Who's
1: gonna reach out to them? <laughs> everybody, everybody, want, everybody they, there was white.
3: They didn't want you here. <laughs> what are you gonna reach out to me for?
1: Yeah, you ain't supposed to be here anyway. Nobody from the city. Nobody.
3: City never said a word. Mr the norm. And you didn't expect for them to.
0: how the story isn't widely known today, but even at the time, it it didn't seem like it got the proper attention. I would talk about that. What did I want to tell you about police fire response that night?
1: She doesn't remember talking or seeing any police or fire. Now, I've I've gone back and looked at uh, articles in the paper, and um, several of the reporters talk, mention her and mention the family. And remember, she's a 24-year-old domestic worker at the time. Her mother uh, and her aunt owned the house. Um, it's possible that there was so much confusion around that, that time. That uh, And this is 60 years later. You know, we're, we're dealing with memories. We're dealing with the emotional uh, repercussions of how she looks back on that event. But um, she um, she remembers uh, Walter Conkright mentioning it on uh, the CBS uh, Evening News, and he doesn't go into any detail about it. And she ends up writing him a, a kind of a letter about um, the, you know you only say what you want to say you, you don't really talk about what really happened and how it affected all of us so yeah i we I went back into the archives uh, newspapers um, and the times union the 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 leading paper of the day did not cover it on their front page. it was sort of buried the journal covered it in the the, the next afternoon but then there was No more coverage, basically, until the the trial began uh, after the FBI conducted a a very thorough investigation.
0: We're talking about a new documentary film recounting the 1964 attack on a Jacksonville six-year-old who dared to integrate Lackawanna Elementary School. You can join our conversation by calling 904-549-2937, or you can email us your comments at firstcoastconnect at wjct.org. You can also message us on Facebook, Instagram, or tag us on X, I think it would surprise a lot of people, Tim, that this wasn't front page news—an exploding house, a retaliatory attack by the Klan on a six-year-old. Um, but you've done a lot of reporting like this in your mm-hmm. uh, time in Jacksonville, <clears> and maybe this doesn't stand out as so unusual.
2: Uh, it doesn't surprise me that um, that it wasn't reported uh, in a more responsible way. It uh, doesn't surprise me that the community did not respond uh, in a responsible and compassionate way. Um, you know, I've been thinking about um, how incredibly brave it is that um, Donald and Iona are, are here this week and, you know, coming back to um, the source of this, this trauma uh, and this lifelong trauma for Donald. You know, uh, and uh, and thinking about how uh, how long it took for Jacksonville to uh, acknowledge that Ax Handle Saturday happened. Um, you know, our current mayor was the first mayor to ever attend uh, any of the commemorations of Ax Handle Saturday, um, and yet, you know, when we take down a Confederate monument, we get um, tons of people saying, you know, t- well, tons of um, particular kinds. Uh, of, of uh, white people saying, <laughs> uh, you can't erase history. But where are those people today? 60 years later, where are those people when we're talking about these kinds of stories? They're, they're completely absent. And so Jacksonville is a different Jacksonville than it was in 1964, but uh, it still has never acknowledged what happened uh, to Donald and Iona. And, um, you know, I, I hope that, um, you know, Hal's making this film, and um, Donald and Iona's gracious uh, return to Jacksonville this week uh, can uh, can serve as some kind of truth and reconciliation because I think that is really what has long been lacking. And until we are honest with ourselves, um, we can't have any kind of progress.
0: We should mention, and we'll get to the details of it later, but, Donnell and Iona are in town this week because there's going to be three screenings of Hal's film locally at three different locations, and we'll provide some of that information a little later in the program. Um, Hal, what would be an appropriate recognition of this um, incident in your mind, or have you talked to Hal and uh, to to Donnell and Iona about that?
1: We re- we haven't really talked about that. I mean, we're. They talk about how they take things one day at a time. I think we sort of are, too. The screenings are a start here, and the mayor's office is sending a couple of representatives to the screening Wednesday night. Um, I think the thing is to get it into the classrooms, to get it into the the minds and hearts of young people. And I know Florida has passed laws that um, may ban this kind of content from entering the classroom. So I, I think that's what we would like to see. Iona was a teacher uh, for 20 years, uh, early childhood teacher. She would love for this to reach uh, young students.
0: You actually have a disclaimer, um, maybe a little tongue-in-cheek or maybe just a recognition of the current realities at the top of the film, warning educators that this film might violate a 2023 law approved by Florida lawmakers. Talk about that.
1: I. We wanted to make the film as relevant as possible to younger people. I think by opening that statement, we're also making them aware that they're not learning s- certain things. Certain things are being banned from um, discussions in classrooms now. And, and I, I think we need to keep raising that point again and again until that, until that thing is abolished. And, and, and in, the, in the film, we showed bombings that have occurred over the years that kind of echo Iona's point. It was just another bombing. And, and then we lead up to uh, shootings, mass shootings in the last uh, decade, including the one in Jacksonville uh, last summer. So we keep bringing these points back up that things have not really changed. We, we are still dealing with the same sort of critical um, issues and, and racial hatred that we were dealing with 60 years ago when they planted 20 sticks of dynamite under this house, which was six months after the 16th Street bombing uh, in Birmingham that killed the, the four uh, young girls. And they used 10 to 20 sticks of dynamite. So we're talking about... We're, the, we, we see the Klan talking about they wanted to send a message, but they were doing more than just sending a message of trying to knock him out of that school. They were trying to wipe out a family, and, and it's a miracle that they survived.
0: Um, just for clarity, that law... Um, that's in place now prevents educators from lessons that make white students or a, a student um, from feeling discomfort, uh, particularly around issues of race. And and you say in your film, this will make people uncomfortable um, for good reason, Tim. But uh, to Al's point, there was a lot going on at that time. There was racial violence in St. Augustine that was extremely uh, intense at this around the same period. And um, There was another bombing that happened in MIMS that killed two civil rights leaders, Mm -hmm. um, Harriet and Henry T. Moore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this was, in some ways, it was another bombing. It was one of many.
2: Yeah, you know, um, I I teach writing at FSCJ. And so, uh, you know, this uh, last year, uh, there has has been much angst and discussion uh, about these new Florida laws. Um, I should say that, um, I don't know any educators who have, um, backed down from being honest and teaching the facts about history and Florida's, um, Florida's history is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty brutal, um, 1920s is an enormous time for Klan activity. The 1960s, in response to civil rights uh, measures, as you mentioned, the Saint what's what's now known as the Saint Augustine movement. Martin Luther King is in Saint Augustine. Um, place where he's he's staying in Saint Augustine is is bombed. There's all kinds of violence and having I mean, brutal, um, uh, large scale violence in Saint Augustine at the time. Um,
0: Officially sanctioned. You know, the uh, people absolutely. deputized to be. Absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in Jacksonville, this is also 64 is also, uh, you know, I mean, there's the, the the whole 60s are really a bloody decade. We know about Axe Handle Saturday. We need to know about um, Donald and Iona's um, story. Um, we know about Johnny May Chappelle's murder. Really? Um, only because, uh, you know, her son Shelton, who was a few months old at the time, and this is when um, four white supremacists uh, drove around town looking for, uh, you know, a, um, well, essentially looking for a black person to kill during um, a period of racial strife uh, in, in Jacksonville. Uh, and, uh, and they found Johnny Mae Chappelle and they shot her. And um, her son Shelton was a few months old at the time. He has all his life, you know, 60 years,, 60 uh, something years. Uh, kept this story alive, asked for answers, asked for, um, asked for some kind of uh, proper response. Um, his situation, or, or Johnny May Chappelle's situation, was another situation where, um, you know, uh, the the outcome in court was similar to, as I'm sure, again, you know, I keep alluding to, I'm sure we'll talk well, about let's, in a minute. let's talk about yeah. that a little okay. bit. I
0: mean, so th- they did um, fairly quickly mm. resolve the case. They mm. found a man, a Klansman, who mm. just moved here from Indiana. He confessed to the crime. He implicated five... Uh, accomplices, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. he was punished. He went to trial.
2: So the only person who uh, served any kind of time was the person who uh, came forward and basically ratted out the other clansmen. right? Um, there was uh, the first trial, there was uh, an acquittal of one Klansman, uh, and there was a mistrial for the others. The second trial, um, they were all acquitted. Uh, the attorney was J.B. Stoner, who was a notorious person. He would, a few years later, uh, he would be the person who defended the murder of Martin Luther King. Uh, he was also involved in uh, some of the bombings in, in Birmingham, Alabama. We found found out, you know, in the uh, early 1980s. Um, he was he was the attorney in court. He was successful in defending them in court. Uh, He referred to it as a victory for the white race.
0: And it was an all-white jury that acquitted these five men. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Hal, we uh, had talked about having Danell and and Iona on the show today. Um, They still have some concerns about safety. Um, Donnell has moved out of the country.
1: Right, right. He's now living in, in Ghana after extensive travel uh, in the State Department. He was moving around quite a bit and and decided that Ghana was the place for him and his wife to, um, you know, start over, start over, build a home. Um, Iona's in uh, Washington, D.C. Yeah, Jacksonville, Jacksonville was a site of a lot of trauma. They they still have family and friends here, but I think it took a lot for them to decide to come and also tell the story at this time, knowing that the shape this country is in right now, everything being so polarized and, um, and guns being everywhere. Yeah, it's Did, a worry.
0: Was it, was it difficult to persuade them to participate in your documentary?
1: No, that's what's surprising to me, that, that they were so open from the beginning. I, I think we had this bond. I lived in the neighborhood. We were able to talk about, uh, Donald and I were able to talk about growing up in that neighborhood. Donald had written a book about his uh, childhood, and I had read that book. And uh, so he had he had already been processing a lot of these thoughts. Um, And I'll tell you, you know, trying to compare notes about growing up, it it changed my view of the neighborhood. It it, it was no longer this place where I I just was free to play baseball in the park, knowing that he wasn't free to to go play baseball. I could go up to the um, uh, what's the ice cream shop there. Yeah, I could go to the dream out on my bike, but he couldn't do that. Oh, uh, that was Klan country to him. So this has really changed my perspective, and and I think that's important. I think as white people, we need to go back and 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 look at the what the days, the good old days, you know, and think about well, maybe wasn't so good for everybody.
0: That is sort of the discomfort or dissonance that is actually specifically outlawed though in the teaching of Florida history.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Um, We've got a comment from Lisa on Facebook. She says, I'm glad to hear about this documentary. In St. Augustine around the same time, Fullerwood Elementary School had the home of a black family, uh, had the home of a black family's home set on fire and another black family's car was set on fire because they had children that had begun attending the school. There are too many stories that never saw the light of day or were denied because they were hushed up by the white community and local black people lived in terror. This was the intention of Confederate monuments to send exactly this kind of message to black people of white supremacy to make black people stay in their place. Um, Tim, this story, I think, really owes a great debt of gratitude to you for uncovering it, reporting on it um, in the first place. How did you learn about it?
2: Um, well, you um, well you know, I, I I don't want to take. Um, I, I I think the person who really needs um, a lot of credit here is is Donald Godfrey. Um, I honestly I am always digging into one story and finding that it has tendrils into a hundred other stories. And I remember uh, thinking that you know looking around and and seeing that um they they're this is something that happened. I mean, a six year old's house is bombed. And yet, um, Jacksonville didn't seem to know that it had happened. And when I reached out to um, Donald Godfrey, I think this is like eight years ago now that I first wrote about it. You know, he, at the time, I think he's in Monrovia. And uh, I reached out to him over Facebook, had no idea if this guy would respond to me or not. He was incredibly gracious to me, you know? Uh, And um, he, he wants this story to be told, um and um I, you know it's incredible courage and i hope that this this community uh, makes him feel rewarded for um sharing his story with us
0: there's something in the timing about this incident how that is so shocking about how it occurred let's listen to that part of the interview before the bombing it was valentine's day
4: and they had given him valentine cards out of his class
0: oh yeah
1: we put out valentine cards first grade, you know, and that's my first time ever getting a Valentine's. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and the next thing we knew,
0: they
1: were blowing up the house.
0: A little hard to hear what she says at the end. She says, the next thing we knew, they were blowing up the house. Um, and this really did happen the day after Valentine's Day.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I think that illustrates something. I think people are going to be surprised that there there's actually humor and laughs uh, in their telling of the story. And, and, and I think that's important. I mean, they have such warrant. There's, so, there's, there's a glow and a humanity about them. And, and you think about, well, that could have all just been lost if the bomb is 10 feet over. But I, I think people will be surprised by that. We're, not, we're, we're telling a story that's sad and certainly tragic, but we're also bringing a lot of life and humanity to it, I think.
0: I think people would be surprised, as is it recounted in the documentary, Tim, that the school never reached out to this kid
2: yeah um, things happened uh, so quickly in this time period too uh, you know he uh, as, as as Donald um, writes about in, in his book you know he he uh, attends a different school after this but he comes back to Lackawanna um, b- before he's finished with um, with elementary school he's a he's a school patrol at that time uh, you and know, the
0: school at that point is more fully integrated
2: uh, it's 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 about to be, um, desegregation, uh, attempts in Duval County are about to, uh, to take place, but I, I don't think they really have yet at that point. Um, um, I'm sure, you know, uh, if, if, uh, people are interested in exact timing of that, Donald can talk about that, um, uh, you know, at, at the events this week. Um, but, um, uh, uh yeah, I, I, I don't think that there was, I, I don't think that there was ever any attempt to acknowledge on the part of the larger community that it happened. Uh, It was almost like if we just ignore it, it didn't really happen. If we don't talk about it, we don't give it any importance as though it didn't have any importance otherwise.
1: I I think also in the age before social media, there wasn't a way to share this. And, And there wasn't a sense that you should share. It's something that you should talk about. Uh, and be transparent about. And, and I think that's what will shock young people today thinking about, well, it was silent. Nobody ever talked about it after it happened. And that sort of thing happened in the majority of black families. If, if, if you went back far enough, you would find an act of racial violence like that and people would not talk about it.
0: Although you do point out that the black newspapers at the time, including the Florida Star, this was front page news for them.
1: That's true. Yeah. The black newspapers throughout the country actually uh, covered it pretty well. Yeah.
0: And the trial was also covered by the New York Times. So it was a case that got national attention, even if it wasn't getting much local attention.
1: Right, right. And this is 1964, and they're in this they're debating the Civil Rights Act in Congress. Uh, they pass that in the summer. They actually passed it like a couple of days after the first trial, um, you know, where where people are, it's, it's declared a mistrial. So things are in the air uh, at that point. And, and we got to admit, the FBI poured a lot of Time and work into breaking up this whole Klan uh, um, circuit, and, and especially in Jacksonville, where it was very strong. They went out and in, investigated fifty to hundred people. They went into their businesses, they went to their homes. I think they really just scared a lot of Klansmen at that time who weren't used to the Feds coming down on them. And they had a lot of dynamite on hand. They were already planning at least two other bombings. Uh, before they, you know, caught Rosencrantz in St. Augustine.
0: Wow. Oh, we've got a call, actually. Sally from St. Augustine. Good morning, Sally. Welcome to First Coast Connect. Good morning, and thanks for taking the call. I just want to thank the filmmakers for bringing this story to light. It's so important, especially now more than ever, to hear about, you know, these kinds of atrocious acts. And, you know, there are so many thoughts that come to mind hearing this story and all the multiple parts of it. You know, we, we I hear
4: you saying that that um, D- Donald, he was the one that integrated the school as if a six-year-old had any real choice. You know, he was,
0: his family made the decision to allow him to do that. But the fact that this child was targeted by the same types of people who now claim that, you know, we have to protect our children and children are it's so important to protect their safety. And yet, who is there protecting him? So that's my thought. Thanks. Thank you. Sally, Hal. There's actually kind of a lighter moment in the film where uh, Iona's saying, "You know, we made this decision," and and Donnell says, "You know, I was the one who had to to go and integrate. I was the one."
1: Yeah, we we I I tried to really probe her about her decision to enroll him, and uh, her whole family was against it. But in her words, you know, the Supreme Court said he could go. Ten years earlier, right? ten years after it, they all said he could go, and they were going to protect him.
0: We've got a call, uh, Jeff, on the west side. Good morning, Jeff. Go ahead.
2: Good morning. Um, just a real quick comment. If he's looking for another material to make another documentary, you check out the school that was on the property that is currently owned by Moose Haven down in Clay County. Um, there was a school for blacks and and in the early teens, twenties that got burned to the ground. Um, and that whole story behind that one is is fascinating. Just a thought.
0: Do you know what year that happened?
2: Jeff? I do not. I do not. But I used to do some surveying work and we did some surveying there at Moose Haven and I got some of the backstory on it at the time.
0: Interesting. Well, Fascinating. I see, I see Tim Gilmore's, uh, interest has peaked. So you may yet see an installment on Jack Psychogeo of that very story. Um, but certainly no shortage of it. I want to just briefly talk about the screenings that these films are uh, going to have. So tonight, um, there's a free screening at the university of North Florida, um, excuse me, it's this afternoon, one forty-five. Okay. Um, so that's at the university of North Florida today. Um, tomorrow there's a 7 PM screening at Sunray cinema in five points and, uh, tickets for that are $10 in advance. And then there's also a free, but a waiting list only registration required screening at Murray Hill library on Thursday, February 22nd at 4 PM. Um, and again, Hal, tell us that people can expect to see the principles of the film there.
1: Right. We'll we'll have a talk back. Um, Tim will be at some of these. I'll be there. Donald and Iona will be there. David Jameson will also be participating. And and I should say that uh, the film won't be available online for uh, at least another year. We're going to be submitting it to film festivals and and probably private groups. If they would like to have a screening, they could contact me.
0: Do you have any other uh, film plans and the works that cover incidents in this area
1: i don't but i i I would love to talk to tim about more
2: covering more of his stories done some previous uh work in this area though
1: which is what i have i i did a um a, a full length documentary about a writer activist lillian smith who had ties to north florida and and had brothers that lived in jacksonville and she lived here briefly as well and um She wrote about the psychosis of white supremacy and doing her story about uh, four or five years ago is sort of what has led me uh, towards stories like this and doing more uh, social justice stories like this.
0: Well, Tim Gilmore, uh, Hal Jacobs, thank you so much for your work on this story and for bringing it to light. Um, Excited that there's three screenings for people to check out. Um, Is there a place if they just want to get more information about the film or the screenings that they can go to?
1: You can go to my, my website, hjacobscreative.com, and, and find a link uh, there.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much. We're going to be back in just a minute with what one, one local group is doing to get young girls excited about science and technology. Welcome back. Getting more girls and young women invested in science and technology is the goal of many STEM programs in school, but a local program aims specifically to help girls of color bridge that hurdle into a field traditionally dominated by white men. I'm joined now by the founder of a program designed to do that, Science Sis, Erica. Uh, I've got you, Willie. Mm. Thank you. And Mariah, a second grader at John E. Ford Elementary. Hey, Mariah. Mm. Hey, Erica. Hi. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. It. So Erica, you work in tech, uh, what is it that you do and how did you become uh, interested in STEM in the first
4: place? Yeah, so we can go back to maybe second grade, like Mariah. I was always a tinkerer. Um, I was always taking a, a loose, uh, taking um, my pins a loose and building and I used to ask for racetracks for Christmas and my parents purchased them. Um, And then moving to high school, I went to math and science and technology high school. I was in science fair, had an aunt who's a scientist, and we were just really deep into science. I remember doing uh, um, microorganisms in creeks, and I went to science fair. And so I've always loved science. And so after, while I was in high school, I asked uh, my engineering teacher if I could be an engineer, even though I wasn't, I loved math, but I wasn't that great in it. And he told me no. And from there, I wanted to prove to myself that I could be an engineer. I went to college for computer science. I moved to California to work in tech at a in Silicon Valley as a software engineer. And I have always been a part of it. I've always been a part of groups to support that, NSBE, um, SWE, Society of Women in Engineering. And then I worked for so many tech companies. So that's how I got into it. Um, and that's... That's, how, that's, what I, that's what I do now. Mariah, you're in
0: second grade. Right. Um, what are your favorite subjects, and, and when did you start to be interested in things like science and math and technology?
3: Well, I started to be interested in science and tech and technology because I wanted to become a scientist myself. So I asked my mom, how can I become a scientist? And she says, well, there's this program that's called Scientists, which I can go there.
0: Uh huh. And you're what kind of scientist in training?
3: A uh, space scientist.
0: Space scientist. So, do you want to travel to outer space? No. Just want to observe outer space? Yes. Yeah. What do you like about it?
3: I like that there is so many stuff that hasn't been discovered yet. And I want to discover that stuff for, for my own, for black girls too.
0: Fantastic. And uh, Erica, so you've created Science Sis. What
4: is the program, and what is it designed to do? Sciences is, is designed to empower um, girls of color, K through six, in the STEM field. And so we meet the girls where they are. We call it, we like to say we're cultural, we're, we're culture and science ignite. And so sciences, we have um, three of our priorities. So we do monthly meetups that Mariah comes to, where we find local businesses and we find science that's relevant to that business. And we tie that um, activity to Florida standards and girls come and they do the science experiment. Parents come and they explore new businesses and we dance and we, we just have really a, f- a fun time. Um, the second thing that we do with this under the sciences is our Galaxy Fest. And the Galaxy Fest is the biggest outdoor science and music fest for girls of color. And it started right here in Jacksonville.
3: Super fun.
0: Super fun. So you've been to it before.
4: Yes. (laughs) All right. And the third thing is our women in STEM. So we are having an event, the MOSH is one of the examples of that program. Um, We like to showcase and spotlight women, local women who are um, working in the STEM field. And we want to connect those women with girls who aspire to be um, women in STEM.
0: And so, uh, Mariah, you attend these monthly programs. Tell us a little bit about what you enjoy about going.
3: Well, I enjoy that we're doing new discoveries every time I come there, and I'm always in for something new.
0: I gotcha. And this is, uh, there is a program coming up at MOSH um, this coming weekend?
4: Next Tuesday. So next Tuesday, February the 27th, we're going to have a a Women in STEM event um, at the Museum of Science and History and it's from 5 to 8. You can find information on the MOSH's website. There's tickets there. But we are showcasing and spotlight spotlighting eight trailblazers, local trailblazers, um, from the Jacksonville area. And we're celebrating them. We're spotlighting them. And we're networking with other women. So part of that exhibit, um, we'll, we're going to spotlight the women to STEM. We're going to talk about plans for the interactive piece of the exhibit that we'll be opening as well. And the third part of that is the collaboration, the community, community collaboration. So we're asking women, if you're not one of the eight women, um, women across the Jacksonville area have been submitting their pictures. Girls who aspire to be women in STEM have been submitting their pictures. And we're going to have a huge collaboration piece um, that will be up in the mosh. So you get to see the future and the present, which is a powerful, powerful um, Um, opportunity to see.
0: How important is it to inspire and to show examples of success when you're talking to young girls like Mariah?
4: Yeah, there's so much research. I mean, I guess the simplest way to say it is if you can't see it, you can't be it. And we like to kind of expound on that a little bit to say, sometimes we are the first. So if you can see it, then you can be it. If you can dream it, then you can be it. But showcasing women and STEM and and having role models to see um, that look like you plays a significant part of of girls having the confidence um, to pursue those those fields. And how does it feel when
0: you see a young girl like Mariah with such um, great ambitions and clarity
4: of purpose? I mean it just it just makes everything so relevant. Mar- Mariah and I also have three daughters, so. Not only did I work in, this, in the tech space and I, and I could see, you know, the common denominator was me being one of the only girls who look like me or people who look like me. But also having three daughters and seeing girls like Mariah makes it very real and relevant right now. Mariah, do you think that you too will be inspiring young
0: girls and older people about the, you know, the work that you're going to be doing and the ability of young girls to be scientists and leaders in technology? Yeah,
3: Yeah, because I don't want only men to be in science and technology and space.
0: And is it important to you to see examples of people like Erica who can, you know, lead the way on this and show you an example of somebody who's doing it successfully?
3: Yeah, so she can teach me so I can learn from her to teach other girls.
0: Mm -hmm. And Erica, this initiative, you said it kind of started around your kitchen table.
4: It did. So it started probably when like I said when I was in second grade, but the actual science sis, I started by doing science experiments with my daughters. So when they were younger looking for toys, a lot of toys were were, I guess, branded to teach homemaking skills. And which is fine. Um, but they I thought they were missing the critical thinking, the building, all those toys. And so we started to do science experiments, like very easy science experiments that you could use um, your kitchen ingredients to do and just getting them to, to ask questions and other parents saw that and they wanted to do that because sometimes it can be intimidating you may want your daughter to be a part of STEM or even just have the option to do it but it could be intimidating if you're not from that field so I was making it very easy and I was sharing those videos and then it was born from there and even this the Galaxy Fest uh, we had over a thousand girls and families I mean Walking through the park, seeing girls, you know, watch science experiments on the stage, the climbing walls, the petting zoo, double dutch, um, the, the interactive tables. And to see that many girls doing that, and then this, the science behind every single piece of that, um, it was something so powerful to see. And and mothers came to me after saying that, thank you so much, they've never experienced this just shows how needed it is and will be for the future. So, over a thousand families were having it again this year on um, the Galaxy Fest, and we're going to double that. But um, it's very important.
0: It exceeded, I guess, your expectations from when you began. I mean, you were just doing
4: experiments in your kitchen, maybe making a giant mess of your <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> this is true. Mess is good. Um, so yeah, you're right. We were just letting the girls explore, making a mess, asking questions, and sharing that with parents and here we are again making a mess, sharing with parents, and helping them empower their daughters and, and their kids to um, crit- start you know, critical thinking and exploring and discovering and empowering them to create. Mariah, have you ever made a mess for science?
3: Of course I did.
0: <laughs> Let's hear about one instance.
3: Well, one instance was when I, w- I got this science kit, and me and my mom were outside— in front of our garage and we were doing this volcano eruption and it was messy but we got it cleaned up anyway and it was amazing how the volcano reacted when we put everything that needed to go in there. That's excellent.
0: Well I love to see your enthusiasm Mariah, Erica, Willie um, and your creation of scientists. It's so so great. Um, So how do people get involved?
4: So people people can get involved. They can come to um, science, um, the MOSH event, um, the Women in Science MOSH event. They can visit our website. They can support um, by donating. They can volunteer. They can, you know, continue to encourage women to be in STEM. There's so many ways. But visiting our website, coming to our events. um, And if they want to upload their own image, how do they do that? So if you want to upload your image, you can find that information on our Instagram or Facebook. And that is the TheSciences, so at TheSciences, and that's T-H-E-S-C-I-E-N-C-E-S-I-S. So science and then S-I-S.
0: All right. Terrific. Well, I've been talking to Eric Willey and second grade science lover Mariah. Thank you both so much for being here.
4: Thank you for having us.
0: Stick with us in just a minute. A chance for local entrepreneurs to connect with venture capital.
5: Carolyn Beeler, Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine two years ago this week. Since then, thousands of lives have been lost, and Ukraine's fight to recapture its territory has ground to a stalemate. We'll bring you the latest news from the ground in Ukraine and Russia's plans for the future. That's next time on The World. Today at 3 on WJCT News
0: 89.9. I'm Scott Tong. Climate scientist Michael Mann won a defamation lawsuit against right-wing bloggers who attacked him personally. They compared him to a child molester. And Mann says the verdict sends a message. There's a penalty for engaging in dishonest attacks against scientists.
2: Next time, Here and Now. Today at 2 on WJCT News 89.9.
0: On the next Fresh Air, writer Lucy Sant shares her story of transition from male to female at 67 years old. She describes how she found the courage to come out after seeing her transformation through a gender-swapping feature on FaceApp. Join us.
5: Today at noon on WJCT News
4: 89.9. Now nominated for an Oscar,
1: Jeffrey Wright's performance in American fiction has been described as career crowning. He plays a struggling author in a film with a lot to say about race, identity, and what the publishing world wants from a black writer.
4: These books have nothing to do with African American studies.
1: They're just literature. The the blackest thing about this one is the ink.
5: I'm Jen White. Jeffrey Wright is my guest next time on 1A. Today, starting at 10 on WJCT News 89.9.
0: And we're back. International Women's Day is March 8th, and to celebrate, the University of North Florida is hosting a day-long event featuring venture capital opportunities for women entrepreneurs. Joining us for a closer look is Christine Caven, organizer of the PS27 Female Founders Forum. Hey, Christine.
5: Hey, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming
0: on the program. So what is the Female Founders Forum?
5: Yeah, so the Female Founders Forum is a program that started at our office at PS27 Ventures, We're a venture capital fund, and we were looking at companies that wanted investment, and we weren't seeing pitches that were coming from women. So this started with a small group at our office and has now grown to over 300 women that gather at the University of North Florida to celebrate International Women's Day. And we offer the opportunity for women to come out, share their stories as entrepreneurs, inspire the next generation of students to become entrepreneurs, and also there's some cash in the game as well for the founders that pitch on stage during our Shark Tank pitch competition.
0: That's awesome. And so what is PS27 Ventures itself? That's a vet, like a venture capital company?
5: Yeah. So uh, we are here in Jacksonville. We're a venture capital company and we invest in early stage entrepreneurs. So our typical check size is between two hundred and fifty thousand dollars up to a million dollars. And we see deal flow 365 days a year from entrepreneurs who are inspiring the next generation of companies. Specifically, we like to invest in fintech companies, health tech companies, e-commerce, as well as companies that are focused on sustainability. And we've been doing that for about 10 years now in Jacksonville.
0: Um, But the Female Founders Forum is specifically focused on women and local entrepreneurs from Jacksonville?
5: Yeah, so um, we highlight local women from Jacksonville. We actually are doing a She Kept Going panel featuring three local entrepreneurs, Megan Hayward, D'Amika Jackson, and Rebecca Smith. And they're going to be sharing their stories about starting their companies right here in Jacksonville. And in addition to that, we also highlight entrepreneurs from across the country. Our keynote speaker this year is the founder of Care.com, Sheila Marcello. She's also launching a brand new company that's focused on AI, and it's a virtual assistant for moms and other home t- caretakers. And it's going to be a really exciting conversation. This is the first AI keynote that's happening here in Jacksonville by a female entrepreneur. And, um, you know, we're just really excited to to bring that perspective to the local Jacksonville community. She's a
0: really extraordinary uh, entrepreneur to her own personal story is really interesting but care.com was this kind of online marketplace where you could get childcare you could get care for your seniors in your life or your pets even um and so she also needed though capital to kind of get that kick started
5: yeah absolutely every founder not only needs a team they also need investors to help them bring their idea to market and Sheila is one of the few women in the country that have ever taken a company all the way from founder to IPO. So now she's a second-time founder starting her next venture. And what we want to do with the Female Founders Forum is to inspire the room of uh, budding entrepreneurs to to think big and take their ideas to market the way that Sheila did.
0: And so let's talk about the money because there is a live pitch competition. That must be pretty exciting. How does that work?
5: Yeah, so we host applications for founders from across the country to apply to pitch. We had over 160 women apply for this year's pitch competition. In the top six companies, they were just announced this morning. They're going to pitch live on stage for a $250,000 investment. So you'll see five-minute pitches from each of these female founders in different industries. And then they go home with a big check. And if you were to tell me we were doing this nine years ago when we started the program, I honestly... Wouldn't be able to believe it, but it's fantastic that we're actually able to put the capital behind these female founders. Last year was the first year that we added the pitch competition element. And Jacksonville loves it. The audience loves it. They get to hear different ideas. They get to engage with these founders. And really, it's an opportunity for PS27 to invest in these women entrepreneurs. So after the pitch competition is over, They come back and they work with our team side by side. We go through due diligence because it is a venture capital investment. And then they move on to our PS27 process of working with our team, going through sales calls and building their business to scale. And you're actually going to hear this year from last year's pitch competition winner. Um, She's with a company called Kadea, and she's going to share a little bit of her story at the event as well.
0: And it's not just a question of money, right? I mean, there is a need for support, for training, for you know, further education about risks and pitfalls and and problems that people can encounter. so how how do how does that interface work after the award?
5: Yeah. so after the award, um, our due diligence process, it's very intense. So we do a financial review. We do what's called a four hour workout at p s twenty seven where we take their entire team. Our entire team, we set aside four hours of our day, and we ask each other questions. You know, where is the company at today? Why is the founder doing this? What do they believe in that's really driving the company? And who do they have on their team to achieve their goals? And also, what are their weaknesses? What areas can PS27 help grow their company side by side? And then once the investment is done... They're assigned a team captain from PS27 to help them on a weekly basis. They call checkpoints with us anytime that something comes up, as things always do in entrepreneurship.
0: Very, very briefly, where can people get information?
5: Yes. Yeah, so there is a handful of tickets left. It's ps27foundation.org, and that's where you can learn about the speakers and grab tickets. Christina Kavan, thank you so much for being
0: here. Appreciate it.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: And that's our program. Join us again Wednesday when we explore the history of Manhattan Beach, which is Florida's first American African-American beach resort in the segregated South. I'm Ann Schindler, and you've been listening to First Coast Connect on wJct news eighty nine nine
2: Support for
5: First Coast Connect is provided by Baptist Health and the North Florida TPO.